I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. It has been far too long since we talked to any college tennis on our Crack Rackets platform now. Of course, when the season got canceled due to the emergence of the coronavirus pandemic that threw a lot of our plans off. It threw plans off for all of us across the globe. Uh, but it feels really good for me to say today that we are getting back to our college tennis roots, chatting a little bit today about the college tennis world. And no person I would rather do that with than my co-host, Chris Hallioris, who joins me on today's interview where we talk to Tennessee men's tennis head coach Chris Woodruff. And for those of you who don't know Coach Woodruff's background, and if you're a fan of tennis who was born before the 90s, you certainly remember his name. He's a guy who had success himself as a college tennis player. He was the 1993 NCAA men's singles champion at Tennessee, went on to a pro career that saw him rank inside the top 30 of the ATP singles rankings. He, of course, the the highlights of his career include winning the 1997 Canada Masters events, as well as the making the quarterfinals of the Australian Open in 2000. But, you know, Coach Woodruff's been involved with the Tennessee program for the majority of his life. He joined the team as an assistant coach in the summer of 2002, has been the assistant, uh, was the, excuse me, was the assistant through 2017 when he took over the head coach's job, and he's done a phenomenal job. You talk about the players who have filtered through that program over that course of time, guys like Tennis Sandgren, who's been top 100 in singles, J.P. Smith, who's had such a phenomenal doubles career, Ryan Williams, one of the most talented Americans to filter through the system over the past, you know, certainly in the 21st century was as talented as they come, Davy Sandgren as well, I mean, Mikhail Labidis, Hunter Reese, the list could go on and on on and on. So Chris and I got the chance to talk with Coach Woodruff actually this morning uh, about his time at Tennessee, how the coronavirus impacted his team. Was he able to get all of his players home? What's it going to look like for them when they come back recruiting-wise, scholarship-wise, the extra year of eligibility? Of course, some of that is still up in the air, but we talked to Coach Woodruff about that, about his recruiting philosophies, about, you know, some of his time, uh, some of the matches he has coached, such as that sequence last year when they beat Florida in the SEC Conference semifinals only to match up with them again in the round of 16. And anyone who watched those matches last year knows just how exciting they were. We, of course, also had a lot of fun with Coach Woodruff. So with that in mind, enjoy our conversation with Tennessee men's tennis head coach, Chris Woodruff. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. 
And that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Joining us now on the Cracked Interviews podcast, a man who has had success in every avenue of tennis he's explored. He has a career high in singles of number 29 and was the 1997 Canada Masters champion. He was also a former NCAA singles champion, winning a title with the Tennessee Volunteers in 1993. And it's only fitting that he is now back there as the men's tennis head coach. Coach Chris Woodruff, welcome to the Cracked Interviews podcast. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing well, guys. Thanks a lot for having me on your show. Oh, it is our pleasure, believe me. And I made this joke before we started, but it's rare that I'm outnumbered in terms of the Chris's we have. Chris Hallioris also on the phone for today's podcast. I guess, other Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Finally, I'm glad to get back to talking about some, uh, you know, college tennis and tennis in general. Oh, I could not agree with you more. I know we are all missing it more now than ever. And unfortunately, I think that is the place we have to start with you, Coach Woodruff. In terms of, you know, these last, this last month, we've saw play get canceled for this 2020 season. Uh, you know, how, how has this past month been for your program? How did your guys react to that news? And, you know, what are you guys doing now to stay close? Well, we were actually we were actually getting ready to play South Carolina and really get into the meat of our season with South Carolina on the road and Florida on the road and then two other schools. So when uh, I don't think any of us really knew what to expect, we were we took a bus down to Columbia from Knoxville and and uh, we were following the news and started seeing all these things being canceled and and as, as time got closer and closer to the match, um, and I saw the SEC. Uh, talked to Coach Barnes, and then the SEC basketball tournament got canceled. We kind of figured that we were going to be turning around and, and coming home. And then, uh, you know, the lasting effect of this for for, for myself and, and the guys on the team, we've been, you know, we have a group chat, and we've been sending messages through the group chat and, and just trying to tell them when they plan on returning and, and what's been voted on and what's passed and what's on the table. So I think it's really time <laughs> of anxiety for all of us as, as there are way more important things than the SEC tennis schedule. No, certainly. I mean, it's it's a tricky time for all of us, and I know it's still a little bit up in the air, but with the NCAA, I think, voting next week on that extra year of eligibility uh, for all of the players who had their senior seasons robbed or just this year robbed in general. Uh, I don't know if you have any particular insight into that. You know uh, when that vote's going to play, how you think it's going to go, but I'm curious, uh, what are your thoughts on this idea of granting those seniors an extra year of eligibility? Well, selfishly, I think it'd be great. I'd like to have, I'd like to have my... <laughs> my guys back obviously and and the, the thing that I am a little concerned about to your question is for us they vote on it and it and it passes well what happens if college football doesn't pop you know what happens if in April or, or when they start we have empty stadiums then that's gonna that's gonna change the landscape of college or at least what I do I think drastically really kind of in the back of my mind I'm I'm kind of thinking probably more about that than whether we're going to whether they're going to vote and and say it's okay to bring all all my guys back. But for for us, 
Phil, James, and myself, we'd love to have our, our team back from last year. Yeah, I mean, Coach, that's got to make the planning just just the planning aspects a little difficult. I mean, I think I think you you only had Luca as a senior, is that right? Well, we had Giles Husty as well. Oh, that's the, as a grad transfer, yeah. So, so I mean, from a planning perspective, you, you're looking at it, and, and a you got to know, you know, can they even come back? And then I guess B is if they can, you know, depending on, and you know, I don't know your situation, but depending on how much scholarship money you had tied up in the guys, right? And what they're going to do with scholarship limits, right? I mean, I just somehow I can't believe that it would just be unlimited. That you know, you just get whatever you had, you get to bring them back on top of your four and a half. They could do that. I don't see that happening. But so all of those variables kind of have to uh, almost just puts you in limbo in terms of figuring out what the heck you can do for the year until you get all those answers, doesn't it? You're you're exactly right. And you know who who would who would cover it? Is it going to be? just the institution and then i'll give you just a little a little a smaller problem if you will you know the sec has a rule where you so let's say we get our seniors back right and, and now all of a sudden the seniors come and the freshmen come and, and i've gone from a roster of of nine guys up to 12 guys right well the sec has a rule you can only travel eight yeah so we really only i'm going to leave four now four guys at home you know, the women are allowed to travel 10, and so one of the moves that we're talking about in our conference is it's something that needs to be addressed, obviously, is taking 10 on the road. So now instead of leaving, you know, four guys, I can maybe leave two or one or, or one of the guys behind. So there are a whole lot of things that are going to factor into this once it's decided, especially for our conference. No, without question. And I will tell you, and I, and I will tell you, you know, yesterday it was voted in our conference that we're going to replay the 2020 schedule. So for the SEC, we'll start up March 6th next year. We'll go back to Georgia. So we are going to repeat the schedule that was on the docket for this year, 2020. We're going to repeat it for 2021. I know that's really interesting, and you know, even things like the ITA kickoff draft, right? How can you have another kickoff weekend without a full season of results? All of those things are up in the air. I'm also curious, how has it affected your recruiting? Because it's not like there are tennis tournaments for you to go out and watch. And I'm, I know you have your class for next season already locked in, but for the subsequent years, uh, I imagine this has not been easy from a recruiting standpoint. You're exactly right. Um, Fortunately, we've had to get on the phone and, 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 and talk to a player or two and, and, and tell them kind of just hold on. And, and uh, you know, it's it's uneasy time for us, and it's also an uneasy time for for the player because we had a couple of guys that, that were really interested in coming here, and, and now I don't know, and, and, and now he doesn't know what's happening. So we were moving along nicely, and, and maybe, you know, things were headed in a positive direction. And, and, and with what's happened, it's all kind of been put on hold, and, you know, to your point, April 15th, it, it you know, shut down at, at least till April 15th. And kind of treating this, obviously, we've been told as a dead period. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I've got, I guess, one more follow-up on that. So we, we talk kind of a lot about this year's impact. But, right, if there, I mean, the talk has been that everybody is going to get basically, a, you know, the redshirt year for the year, which means – you know, freshmen are effectively freshmen again, right? And so that's got it. That impacts, and you know, I look at some of the downstream impact to that. And and if that's the case, 
right? It kind of thins over the next four years. You have like a total of one less class basically to recruit. So all these kids, and I look at all these people that talk about how, uh, and I'm never, I've never been a proponent of this, but they talk about how the American kids don't get as many of the scholarships and we have so many international players. And that's just a function of, you know, talent and population of people that play tennis. Right. But it's going to thin that out even more because there's going to be just, you know, a year's less, uh, a fewer number of openings to be had with, you know, assuming the number of players that actually exercise the chance to play five years. Right. Uh, obviously not everybody will, but, but I would think that's, I mean, that's going to have impacts on you really not just now, but over the course of the next couple of years, just because of the, you know, in all likelihood, the fewer number of players needed, given that some you'll have some come back. You, you're exactly right. And, and I've heard that talked about and, and you bring up a great point. That's just another issue that we're going to have to work through. And, and how are they going to handle it? So, I mean, I, I really I really have no idea what is going to happen, and then as you guys discussed earlier in regards to Monday, I know the NCAA Council is meeting in the afternoon. What they decide, that could flip again. You know, like I said, if football doesn't run, that could that could flip again. So it's kind of hard to have to, to really get a plan for what we're doing. I've told my guys, you know, like we were talking about earlier, I've told my guys when I'd like to have them back because they've gone home. And they've spent more time at home probably now and will get more time at home than they ever have. And so all I can really do is control the things that I feel I can control, and that is kind of set a temporary start date of when I want our guys back. Once this gets all once this passes, we can reach back out to recruits and kinda of get that kinda of get that rolling in the right direction. But but you're exactly right. There are just a lot of problems and uncertainties like you just mentioned. Were all your guys able to get successfully get home, like specifically, say, Luca and, and, and Prada with being in areas that I think probably had like, you know, two week quarantines if they had if they tried to go home, for example. Like I know some of the some of the Mississippi State guys just I know they haven't gone home. And, and I know I know from uh, from Trevor, some of the Liberty guys that were going back to Portugal are, haven't left yet because of that. I think there was some real concern, like, you know, Pat Harper obviously lives in Australia, and, and, and he uh, he got home and he texted me and said he made it, and he had, you know, quarantine for 14 days. But, you know, the other thing to consider is these parents. I think, you know, I had a couple of my guys whose parents were legitimately getting concerned and talking to them over the phone about, you know, almost to the point, I think, of tears, some of them, that, you know, we really need you to come home. And here we are sitting, well, is the country going to shut down? You heard maybe the airports and, and all of, of what was happening. But, yes, to answer your question, all of my guys, Prado in Portugal, he got home. Everybody's home. And now the question becomes, can they get back? Right. Who knows, right? Can they get back? Can they not? I mean, that was, the, that was one of the things that we talked about, and it was brought up in our meetings, is this happened during spring, you know, shortly thereafter spring break. So guys went to spring break. Had to come home from Florida and then had meetings with in our league and at our institution. And you know, if these guys go home, make it very clear that we can't help them get back. They could get to these countries and get stuck. And that's a whole. That's a whole another thing, isn't it? Yeah. 
Yeah, no, it's it's definitely a scary time. And again, we appreciate you coming on to the podcast to discuss these things because we know how much of this is still in the air. I do want to pivot now to some more enjoyable stuff because I know when the season got canceled, you guys were in the midst of a really good run. You were 14-2 and on the season. You lost only to Columbia that kickoff weekend and then Georgia. Uh, obviously, you guys were coming off of a year where in the SEC tournament, you made the finals as well and made the round of 16. Things are looking very good for your program, aren't they, Coach Woodruff? Well, I've got a really good staff. James is you know, my assistant. I've got a great strength and conditioning guy. And so I have a really good group of people around me who probably do a lot more of the work than I do. The one thing that I'll say about our team is, yes, I think we were, we were trending in the right direction. And especially if you look at the history of, of what we've done, we always try to peak down the stretch. You know, if you, if you look at – several years last year to to your point we were peaking at the right time and we we want to say we started slow but you know columbia obviously very good uh tough hard-nosed team and as we all know athens is a tough place to play looking forward to going back there again uh at least i hope but we were trending in the right direction and uh we're really starting to get our doubles lined up kind of solidified I, i find it very tough to to get the doubles going, but uh, like we were trending in the right direction like the, the previous year, yes. Without question. And, you know, for you now, I believe you uh, took over as the head coach at the end of the 2017 season or maybe the start of the 2017 season. But, you know, for you, do you feel now your team, you know, how are you feeling? It's your third year in the job. Uh, are you feeling comfortable, all things rocking and rolling? You know, I'm trying to get better every year. Every year I feel that, that my staff and I, we kind of sit down at year's end and figure out what we can and what worked and what didn't work. And I'm just – I was actually on a walk with our basketball coach here this morning, you know, Coach Barnes, and we were talking about um, how the game's changed and what he's learned from technology. And and uh, there's also a certain amount of that we both agreed about – just going with your gut so you know James and I we make a lot of decisions based on our gut and uh kind of what we're feeling and I I feel we're trending in the right direction and 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 uh hopefully we get some of these recruits that are on the that are on the blocks and and uh the future looks very promising for the Tennessee Volunteers yeah I mean obviously playing in the SEC is I mean one of you know arguably what you know one of the best you know conferences out there you've got so many good i mean you're gonna have it feel seems like every year you've got at least two or three top 10 teams uh, in the sec and you guys are always right there challenging to be one of those teams i mean what is just how, how much of a difference does it make you know all the way around for the player development your the fact just recruiting etc being in in the sec well, I, I think I, I was listening to your uh, podcast. What was it? A few weeks ago, and I think you guys were counting up. We, we were we were heading or, or gravitating towards what did you guys count up. Nine teams were maybe on the. We're going to get into the NCAA tournament. Was it eight yeah. or nine? I think you yeah. guys went through it, and, and maybe nine. It might have been ten. I can't remember the exact number. So you know that that says a lot. And, and the thing about our league is it. it it's yes that we talk about the the, the Georgias and the Floridas and the NM. But, you know, there are a lot of teams down below from top to bottom. Everybody can play in our conference. You know, even, even if you're at the very bottom, you're, you're, still, you're still pretty good. You, you might have gotten what, what 
and uh, it, it really does matter in our conference. And, and like you said, it's a marketable brand. It, it, it's something you can go out and you can talk to recruits about, and you can say, hey, we play in the SEC. You can get them, and then you can show them some of the players that have come through our come through our you know conference and, and gone on to have good careers, and, and it just means a lot. I would have introduced you as a longtime listener, first-time caller, Coach. I, I, I didn't know you were a listener. Well, I, I can't say I'm a regular listener, but I, but I, I just that just worked out really well for me that I heard your cast the last, last time or two, and, and you were talking about how many, the same thing, basically, the depth of, depth of our conference and, and how many we were, that you thought we were going to get in, and I think you guys were right. We were going to get a lot in. Yeah, I think for the, for the folks that don't pay – maybe too close attention i think you know if you ask up and down the sec and i'm not trying to pick on auburn here but auburn was clearly going to be uh you know the the bottom marker in the sec but yet if you look at the rankings the first couple rank computer rankings that come out and that's solely based on who you've played and who you've beaten they were actually ranked they were hovering between like 45 and 50 for a couple rankings and they were going to be you know team number 13 uh so that's right, just, right you know that's how good the sec you know top to bottom is that's right and, and the thing about it is it seems to always be like that doesn't it? i've been i've been a part of this you know growing up in knoxville i've been a part of this league and i've followed the, the, the great tennessee teams and, and i can remember when tennessee in, in the 90s and 80s when they you know had anacone and and Micah Palmer Jr. and some really good players coming through that even the bottom league teams would come in and push the really good ball teams. So it's been perpetual, hasn't it? Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's always like that. Yeah, No, it's a, it's a testament to the strength of the conference. Uh, I mean, you know, the appeal of playing outdoor tennis all year long for tennis players is obvious as well. And I'm curious for you because, as you mentioned, you've been part of the Tennessee program for a long time. You joined as an assistant all the way back in the summer of 2002. Um, and obviously you're an NCAA singles champion as well. I'm curious, how helpful is that for you from a coaching standpoint, just to show the guys, you know, I don't know, I'm sure your name is on the wall. Does that help you connect with them? And as you're going through adverse situations, you can say, Hey, I was there. I've been through it all as well. Well, you know, I don't know. We, I don't really, the guys can, I've kind of passed their, you know, passed their generation. You know, they're, they're probably not as familiar with the Agassiz and the, and the Sampras as, as, you know, they follow the Nadal's and the Murray's and, and, and those guys. So, whether they know about my career or, or not is, is one thing. I just think that I have, a, you know, values that I that I try to implement and instill when they come here. And and you got to love the game of tennis, and you, and you got to be tough. We talk about being tough-minded, try to run a fair program. And uh, you know, if you can't, I don't expect a ten every day. But if, if all you can give me is a seven, then we need to get the seven out of you. We're not going to get the. Don't let that seven turn into a six or five. So I just more or less follow my heart and, and, and kind of rely on not so much my playing career, but knowing the things that I that worked well for me. And if I'm honest with you, that's just good old-fashioned hard work. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm... strokes or, or, or anything like that. But So we just kind of dig it out of the dirt here, if you will. No, I love hearing that. And 
I know one of my favorite sequence of matches last year was, as we mentioned earlier, at the end of the season when you guys went to Gainesville. Uh, you knocked off Florida in the regular or in the SEC tournament, excuse me. And you could tell from the body language that meant so much to your program. And you know you got the chance to line up with them again in the round of sixteen. Uh, they got you guys there. But can you talk about that sequence of matches? Because I imagine you know watching on a play site stream. That looked about as intense as any match I've seen in college tennis over the past couple of years. And, you know, as you look back on those matches last season, I I imagine you have fonder memories about one of the matches than the other. But can you talk a little bit about those two matches? I mean, both of them were both of them were were I, I think the first match was kind of a heavyweight going up against a welterweight. You know, I've, I've had to really work on my guys heads, making sure that they believe that we could get in there. So if you looked at what we were playing with, I was playing with a, uh, a transfer from Eastern Illinois who was 250 in the country. I was playing with a walk-on at the bottom of the lineup, you know, and, uh, you know, going up against guys who were, I think, semifinals of Kalamazoo and top 20 ITF in the world. So that's that's what I'm talking about with, you know, they were more the heavyweights and we were kind of a, a welterweight that, that got – got into that heavyweight weight class actually during the match, if that makes sense. You could just see the surge of belief come across my guys. And, and uh, you know, that was kind of how it, how it went round one. And, and then and then if you want to call it round, you know, fight number two was uh, very similar. And like you said, if you were following that match, my guy down there at five, Preston Giuliatis, he had match points and double faulted. And all of a sudden, we get that match, and then Timo Stotter's playing the decider. I think Timo was ahead when the match had stopped. Can't really can't remember whether he was ahead or wasn't. So we were trending again, but win or lose, I mean, it was just a it was a great atmosphere, great crowd, fair crowd. They were they were they were loving it, and you know my guys were loving it as well. It, it was the, you know the quintessential college tennis match. Yeah, I was I was there. Alex for that for the first one obviously in the SEC tournament and that was you know it was just everything about it was you know the, the night the match was it was dark the lights were on at the, you know for the finish of the match and and you had you know I think it, I think those last two on if I remember were were Waltz against Griffiths and and Luca against uh and uh, against Andrade and uh right and and yeah I mean just the and that those stands I'll tell you you know coming from the Mississippi State side where we were waiting to play play the winner you look at those stands and you're like man this is a big crowd uh you know it's it's, it's not going to be easy playing in front of them and yeah they they come out well down there and it was loud it was a it was a tough atmosphere I think like coach Woodruff said there wasn't anything unfair about it they were a good crowd but but they packed the stands for that match and it was uh you know coming down to those last two matches that that was a great match agree <laughs> <laughs> No, for sure. And, you know, when you are pro- when you have a win like that as a program to get back to a conference tournament final and uh, knock off a top five school like Florida, uh, I-, I think I think they might have been ranked even higher at the time. Do you think you guys have ridden, you know, the momentum since that moment? Did that instill a sense of belief in your guys? I think the latter of what you just said is right on. I, I, you're always, you know, it's re, it's easy for a coach to stand up in front of a, a group of kids and, and give a rah-rah speech and, and, you know, and then you lose and then you go out and you give another rah-rah speech. And at what point the player starts to think, well, this coach is, 
he really doesn't know what he's talking about. So it really, if anything, it validated all the things. It was a culmination of all the hard work that I used to preach to the guys that I would, that, you know, James and I would preach to the guys last year. And, and it's nice to be able to have something to hang your hat on, right? That's something that's tangible. You can live it, breathe it, see it, feel it. Very important. You got to feel what that's like to be in that, you know, kind of that man in the arena, if you will. So it, it was really good. Uh, whether we got momentum from it going forward, I don't know. It was it was just something. Now it's easy to look back and say, hey guys, look, you remember when we did this? And now what they have is an experience. And I think it's very important to have experiences. That that was always something that I tried to get, you know, instill in myself. Is now what can I do I've played on center court before, so I can use that to play on this center court. You know what I'm saying, guys? It's, it's about that experience and that feeling. And I think for those non-believers on the team, what that win did was now all of a sudden, by gosh, they believe, baby. They believe they can do it. And that was huge. No, it was an incredible match, certainly. And just it, it was great. You know, when college tennis is good, it's as good as any product out there from the tennis world. That's right, and, and and the thing is, it's, it's trying to get those fans out there and, and trying to get to sync up the times and when can people get off work. It's tough to get off work on a Friday at 4 or, or a, you know, Sunday at 1, and especially being in the South, I know, you know, with church and stuff, it, it's tough to get the fans out there at 1 o'clock on a Sunday. Yeah. Hey, Coach, I, I, I'd be remiss if I, if I didn't ask, and I don't want to get into the details why, but now that we're getting an extra year back, is there, you know, there were, you started the year with a couple guys that aren't on the roster now. Is there any chance at all that we see either Scotty Jones back, who obviously was a, a lineup starter for you, and then I think Finn Stoddard as well is not wasn't listed at the end of the year on the roster. You know, so are, are both of those guys, you know, gone for good, or is there a chance we might we might see either of them coming back? Yeah, you're you're exactly right. I mean, we we since January four guys have four guys have left, right? I mean, we were we were playing. We were playing, you know, just had to make some decisions. And, and uh, you know, we did what we did. And, and uh, those guys had a good understanding of why. And it was it was a good parting on, on each way. And as I can't really, I, you know, I don't know what the what the future holds. Uh, obviously, with Finn, he'll, he'll, he'll figure it out. He's a, he's a good kid, lefty. I think he brings an awful lot to the table. Uh, Scotty Jones is, is getting his degree and, and – uh, Actually, probably we'll meet with him in a couple of weeks and, and, and see what he's thinking and doing. And But, uh, yeah, we're just rolling along. And then, like you said, you know, Scotty's finishing up, and, and we're just trying to get everything situated going forward. Mm-hmm. And I do want to talk about your background because, again, I think you're as qualified as any college coach out there. You've had an, an amazing playing career yourself. But in terms of your program moving forward, uh, obviously there's a lot of uncertainty around all of college tennis. But how are you feeling about the state of Tennessee men's tennis? Well, I think we're always trying to, you know, forward thinking, always trying to, always trying to, to just tweak certain things here and there. I, fortunately, since after year one, James and I have kind of been working within that model. We had to make several changes after the first year. But since then, it's just been little tweaks here and there. And we just had a meeting the other day trying to get our, our schedule set for the fall of what we want to try to accomplish. Very few changes, but those few changes can often, you know, over 
job, and he's brought so much passion and energy. I really got to give a lot of credit to him. I just, like I tell the guys, and I just kind of, you know, little changes with the boat here and there, just kind of keep us on course. And, and he's really the one behind the scenes doing a lot of the, a lot of the hard work. No, and James, I mean, James is yeah. my guy, and James knows I love him. But I, I have to ask you, Coach, name one assistant coach that – takes things harder than James does. <laughs> well, you know, I don't really know because like you guys said, I've been here since 2002. So I haven't had a lot of, I haven't had a lot of experiences. Uh, he, he definitely likes to win. I'll say that. He's very competitive. Uh, and he, and he uh, he's very passionate about what he does. But, you know, I've tried to talk to him. You know, great guy to model is, as you guys know probably, or read is, are you guys are students of the game? I'm sure it's better. The quicker you can get over something like he does, the better you're going to you're going to going to be, and you're going to what I talked to him about is prolonging your career. We can't take losses as hard as he does, and it's like be in this business 20 years, especially if you're going to coach in the SEC, because the guys who the guys who last are the guys who can move by, get over things. This league will spit you up and know chew you out yeah you're gonna take your chew you up and spit you out sorry chew you up and spit you out yeah no i mean certainly if you want to have a full head of hair over the next 10 years you got to get over things quickly right yeah you do in this conference because it's so competitive and then the minute and the minute you lose your competitive spirit in this conference it's time to it's time to find another occupation or go somewhere else (laughs) This, this conference does a very good job of letting you know when it's time to depart. <laughs> With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Uh, no, without question. I mean, you look at all of the success you have had throughout your time there. Uh, you've gotten, I think, three guys to the number one rankings in singles. I think it's five teams up to that number one ranking in doubles. Singles finalists in Ryan Williams, J.P. Smith. Doubles champions in Lebedis and Reese. And then, of course, a couple finals as well. Uh, does it help when you're on the recruiting trail, even beyond your own personal success, to be able to point to those guys right away and say, hey, you know, these individuals are, I think, Hunter's right around the top 100 if he's not top 100 in doubles right now. And, you know, Tennis Sandgren obviously going on to the success he's had on the ATP tour is it easier to point to those guys success your own success you know is when you're making pitches to recruits I think I think you know like you're like you're saying there, just combining it all but but you know what really I found what I really try to do more than point to what I've done or what J.P. Smith or Tennis Sangren is has done is really try to find a system guy the guy that that I feel is going to fit our system and like I said earlier, you just got to love tennis because we, like a lot of other schools, we work hard and we expect a lot. And so really trying to find a system guy, yeah, the results speak for themselves. It's nice to pull out the program and, it, and it's nice to kind of hang your hat on, on the development 
of, of the players that have come through here and that I've had a hand along with many other people, uh, been able to go on and play pro, but really looking for guys who fit what we're trying to do at the University of Tennessee, which really is to get better, you know, on, on a daily basis. Of course we want to win. Of course we want to win the league and the NCAAs, but it's hard to see that if you don't really focus on the day-to-day challenge of getting better. And that's really what I look for in the recruits. Who wants to come in at the University of Tennessee and get better on a daily basis and go through the ups and downs? No, so I'm not always going to, you know, just uh, – make your life is, is you got to get you got to get uh, uncomfortable being uncomfortable really yes you talk about some of the some of those recruits and it brings one of the questions i know i wanted to ask is i think you guys have a streak of it i don't know how many years it is but it's a, a, a long number of years of of at least one australian kid on the team did did sam start where where did that start and you know do you just have a is it just an area of focus for you guys or do you have you know kind of a niche, you have an in, so to speak, in kind of an area or a club or, or, or you know, some folks over there that, that kind of help in that aspect and, and they happen and they've turned them into a bunch of Tennessee fans. But, how, you know, how do you keep such a such a streak like that going? A pipeline? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, I, to answer your question, I think it's since 1986 that we've had, that we've had an Australian come here. And it, it, it's just... You know, they're a nation of great sport. They're a nation of – they love tennis. And it, it, it started a while ago that, that the, the head coach prior to Sam was from Australia, and then the head coach after that one was Australian. So he just really continued on that tradition. The guy who, who uh, took over, after, you know, was Mike De Palmer and then John Chris and then Michael Fancutt. Michael Fancutt was the really – he came here in the, in, the, in the 80s to play. So it's uh, – it, it just that's kind of how it happened, and it's evolved ever since. And I have some connections. I played with a few Australians that were on the team, and and uh, word of mouth. And I've flown over for their champ showcase in in uh, December to watch them. So it's just one thing led to another, and we have a we have a good connection, and there have been some really good ones. I'm glad they don't hold any resentment for you knocking off Philippousis in that 97 Canada Masters. Yeah, that was the quarters in Canada, right? <laughs> yeah, it was. I, I, yeah, I played some really good Australians along the way. No, no question about that. And I do want to talk about your playing career because you grew up in Tennessee. Uh, you obviously were an incredible player yourself, and you elected to go play two years at Tennessee. What is it about the state, the program that you know kept you drawn in, and ultimately has you still there now? You know, twenty-seven years later. It was really serendipity, right? I wasn't looking for it. I, I stopped playing, and and my my uh, home was in Knoxville, and and ironically enough, my my roommate. Uh, when, when Michael Fancutt left, Chris Monty took over the job, who's now heavily involved with Tennis Australia. Uh, he took over the job and, and asked me if uh, you know I wanted to be his assistant. But prior to that, Michael Fancutt, who also played at the University of Tennessee, asked me if I wanted to be the volunteer assistant. And that's where it all started, and one thing led to another. And, and I just happened to, I just happened to, to play – you know, a, a small hand when I was the volunteer, I was still playing at a high level and come out and play with the guys. And, and that led to me hanging around the program more. And, and they were they had a really good team. That was when they were making, you know, the final fours. And 
and things like that. And, and, and Chris asked if I'd hang around a little longer and he went to work for tennis Australia. And it's really, the rest is history. I was able to finish my degree while I was the volunteer, the assistant coach, which was a lot of work. I was going to school full time and, and trying to help Chris and just kind of never looked back. So is, is that where, I mean, I, I know you had a singles title back when you played there, but I know one of the things since since I've been watching, you know, the vol the Vols play at you know under your direction, the doubles have been just. I mean, that's always been a strong point is is the Tennessee doubles, right? Is so was that uh, you know does that come was that one of your uh, one of your your strong suits back then? And, and were and is that a fo- is that a really strong focus of yours for the team? It always has been. I know that when, when Michael Fancut and, and, and Chris were here, they worked on doubles. And, you know, those Australians, are, they have a history of being really good at doubles, don't they? So they, they, kind, of, they kind of instilled that program, uh, the doubles program. And, and then I played. It was two out of three sets. So you had time to get into your, your rhythm a little bit when I was in college. And then I went to the eighth game, and now we're playing six. So you got to be pretty skilled. I, I, I feel it's not as much skill as it used to be. It's a lot more about the energy and a lot more about, you know, who can get hot for 20 minutes, right? It only takes 20 minutes. But, yes, we work on doubles every single day that we have practice. And we're always trying to watch film, watch a lot of film on the doubles, always looking for ways to improve. But it's hard to improve if you're only playing for 20, 25 minutes. Yeah. All right, so, so i got to ask. You and Makai versus your one doubles. Who wins? And have you played? Well, I guess the long and short of that is we, 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 I'm not sold that we ever found a one doubles team this year being a quarter. A quarter <laughs> okay, a, any doubles. <laughs> quarter of the way. Well, James, James is uh, a, a much better tennis player than I am. I rarely hit. I've gotten really, I've gotten really uh, locked into the coaching part. Um, but I would say that if I could practice, if you give me a few months, I like our chances. Yeah. <laughs> I like our chances of playing anywhere in the conference, really. <laughs> oh, I'm glad to hear it. And, you know, you go on to be a top 30 singles player. Uh, you did take two years of college tennis. I'm curious, how did that college tennis help prepare you for your pro career? And given the scoring format changes, as you mentioned, uh, some college tennis happens so fast now, uh, do, would you still recommend college tennis as a pathway for those who have pro career aspirations? If it's done the right way, yes, and you can find a coach that you trust, yes. One of the things for me was that college instilled that, that competitive drive. It gave me a taste of, of a level that was up from what I was playing in the juniors. So I really wanted to get a little little bit more of a, you know, a, a, the taste of what it was like to move on from a competitive spirit and, and really honing my skills and, uh, you know, seeing what I could do and, and, and pushing myself. And college tennis really helped me get into a, a routine. It helped me learn about some, although it wasn't as popular probably as, as it is now, the, of, of eating right and taking care of my body and learning about recovery and, and really just opened my eyes to, wow, there's just a lot more than getting in your car and showing up to the club to practice and, and then going home and, and doing you know what else i really loved all that recovery and loved the training and 
loved the stretching and I loved doing the conditioning and I loved hitting tennis balls. I just absolutely loved it. It was a passion of mine. And, and so to be able to prolong that and really what, what, what happened for me was I, I just felt like college tennis, I couldn't improve anymore. Right. I, I won the NCAAs and then this and that. And, and I played on, so you know, one year played on a good team and I played one and, and I just felt like, okay, I'd maximized my area of improvement. And so I felt that was a pretty prudent way to go about it, right? If you feel that you're, that you're done learning, and I felt like the ball speed was also something that I noticed when I would hit with people that were better than me who were playing pro at the time, the ball speed was different than what I was seeing. So I just felt there were many facets, but the main one being I felt that I couldn't improve anymore it was time to try and, and what a wonderful opportunity that life could go on and I could do something that I had an incredible passion for. So how about, so that you, you talked about the, you know, the, the quick doubles and the, the format that used to be there when, uh, when you were playing at Tennessee, what do you think about, you know, the scoring formats we have now? Are you, uh, do you, do you like the no ad scoring? Do you like the shortened doubles? Do you like the, you know, not playing or playing the lets, not having the lets, you know, all of the above. Where, where, where do you stand on all of that? I think as a coach, it's tough. The, the no ad is, is, is tough. Personally, for me, the set, it's, I understand what they were doing for the fans. I think it was, you know, a fan-based decision, and it's probably good that, that, that it doesn't take. I can remember some of our dual matches would take five hours, right? You'd go out and you'd play all the singles matches, and then you'd come back and you'd play three, two out of three set doubles matches. So imagine how that would look if you had only three or four indoor courts or if it rained or even on matches that would go the distance. You'd play five, six hours, right? I don't know if you guys remember that, but, you know, it, it would take forever. As a, It's kind of changed the way I coached the doubles. Like I said earlier, probably a little less skill, and you got to teach a little more about emotion, understanding momentum swings, the ebbs and flows of, of matches, the no ad, it, 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 it kind of, in, in certain ways, I feel like it's, it's tied my hands a little bit with strategy. Uh, do sad, do sad. The longer something goes on, the more your eyes can see it, the more you can implement it, and the more it'll take effect over time. So it, it definitely, with the shortened format, I've had to adjust as a coach. Yeah. Well, you, you mentioned there some of the – you know some of the the indoors out in the the number of courts so so one of my one of my takes that I would love to see implemented and I'd love I'd love to get your stance is all of these schools now because and, and let's be honest it's not a it, we may not be a huge fan sport but there are things being done for the sake of the fans like trying to shorten match times right you know we want to we want to have people come out and watch and to that end my stance is anybody building new courts should have to build six wide none of these four court facilities or split three and three i want to be able to see all six courts at the same time what what do you think about that yeah i think that's i think that's great and they also they also uh another thing that they did when we played the the college showcase down there against duke or they were talking about doing we played the singles you know play the singles first they wanted to play the singles first. They felt it was a better product if you put the if you put the singles out there first. So there are a whole you know there are many ways to go about doing it. But yes, there's there's no question. 
when I first started, that was one of the things that was a killer. We had four indoor courts, right? We finally got two added on. But, I mean, sometimes the five and six men, how do you recruit that? How do I say to the guys, hey, you can come here. You're probably going to be, you know, five or six guy, or you're going to play here in the lineup. But you may not get in the, you may not get in the dual match. <laughs> and when the you do, you're probably going to get set in. Yeah. <laughs> right, the five, right, exactly. The, the five and six guys would sit up there and get all ready to go in a full sweat. We'd watch them running on the treadmill or exercise bike, and then all the match is over. Or it means nothing. <laughs> Very tough, but you're right. Six courts. You gotta have the other thing that the other thing that drives me crazy is if we go to a school and they have no indoors. How, how do you not have indoor? How do you how do you not have indoor courts? Like we were gonna we were gonna face that problem in Columbia, you know. Yeah. It, 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 and I was talking to Josh about it. They have no indoor courts. Imagine the stress that Josh is under constantly to be looking at the weather. Probably looks at the weather two weeks out. We were gonna move the match up with four or five hours to, because there was a. 30%, 40% chance of rain. What can you do? No indoor courts. Incredible. Yeah, and they, they used to have that. The I guess that was four, four years ago, five years ago now, for the my guys' freshman years. I remember they had that four-court indoor facility that we ended up having to move to for the SEC tournament and play till midnight the one year. But then yeah. I guess uh, – I, uh, I love that building, by the way. I thought yeah. that building was awesome. It was just old-school, blue-collar – just right in the middle of the track. One side was the track, and the other side was the football. You yeah, know, it was a gr great like spot. A true and field house, wasn't it? Yeah, the and I think that's of a field did. house. I think they gave it to track and field. Uh, yeah, right. They did. They did. I yeah. saw it when we went down. There. I made sure I went up. I just looked at it. You know, yeah. it just was old school wooden doors. Everybody, all the coaches' locker rooms were in there. Volleyball. It was just old school. I loved it. Yeah. No, without question. And I'm curious because to get back to the scoring uh, for the no ad and the speed sped up format and just, you know, trying to make the product more, I guess, marketable for fans. Do you think it's increased the parity that we see in college tennis? Yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah, I'd, I'd say you're probably right. I, I'd say you're I'd say you're probably right. It has. And is that? Do you think that's a net good thing, a bad thing for the sport? What are you? What are your feelings on that? Uh, to have some parity. Yeah. Are you asking whether that's a? Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I think if you're, I think if you're one of those teams that's doing well, like we were talking about earlier, you know, if if, if you're struggling at the bottom of the conference and saying there's great parity, I think that par I think that parity can, can uh, you know, lead to some problems. But if you're up there at the top and consistently at the top and you're always looking to be pushed and, and challenged, it's great. If you're down at the bottom and, and there's strong parity and you're fighting out for 10, 11, 12, and, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, I think it could be tough and wear on you, right? No, without question. I think from a fan perspective, that's half, the, you know, it, it gets fun. You see so many 4-3 matches and thrillers and, you know, everyone's rushing the court now for every circumstance. So I certainly am entertained. The ability standpoint, for the, the parody that you're talking about, when I when I was not involved, when I was not involved with the program, and I was just a kid growing up in Knoxville, and I was following the Tennessee tennis, but I was also following SEC sports, and you could see the parody that was in the sports at the time. I would come out and I would watch Tennessee. Let's say at the time, maybe like a, a Mississippi State wasn't as good as Tennessee, right, or a Kentucky. I'd come out just because of the name Mississippi State or Kentucky and watch that match because I knew the SEC 
was tough, right? And there was a lot of equality in that league. Yeah. No, without question. Completely agree with you there. And again, I, I want to be conscious of your time. You've been so kind to us. I, I have to ask because one of my favorite teams, and you know, I was born 95, just to date you guys a little bit. You know, you had already won an NCAA singles title before I was even born. Um, but uh, one of my favorite teams growing up was that Tennessee team with J.P. Smith, Ryan Williams, Tennis Sandgren. You guys made that run to the final is that the best Tennessee team in history? Because I, I just remember watching that team and being, I mean, you see all the pro success they had, but what was it like to coach that team? How special was it? Well, you know, it's like I, it's like I tell people, we had two guys at the bottom. We had a guy top 10 in the country, right, who actually probably top eight in the country who, who, uh, who didn't even play in the finals, who didn't even play in the finals, who, who, who against USC didn't play. We had, in fact, two guys on that team who were playing five and six and sometimes not even playing who were both top 10. That's, that's pretty, that's pretty impressive, right? We had a guy who came to college at 600 in the world. We had, you know, Ryan Williams and Tennis Sangren who were obviously world ranked juniors, right? JP Smith, top 10 ITF in the world. I don't know whether it was the, it, it was the, it was the greatest team in history. Now we were trending had, had J.P. Singles' career, you know, kept going. At one point, I think he got to 105. Ryan Williams, I think, got to around 110. Dennis Sangren is what he is now. I mean, had those guys all been in the top 100 and all still been have been playing like tennis is now, that would be tough to refute. Maybe one of the greatest teams ever. But you know what the bottom line is? We didn't win a national title with that team. And that's a heartbreaker. That's 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 really what I remember. You know, hats off to Peter and and, and Steve and Robert and those guys. They had a great team. Um, but that's what I remember. Unfortunately, we didn't win at all, and we won the doubles point. <laughs> no, I, definitely. And I'm curious. Do you think? the level of college tennis, the depth that's required to make strides and win big matches, big events. Do you think the depth has improved since that time? Because I've pointed to those USC teams, the Virginia teams that followed, and you you look at just the amount of pro players they had lining the roster. You guys were obviously in a similar scenario. Do you think the level of men's college tennis has continued to improve over the years? I think it's like the ATP tour. I think it goes up, up and down. I, the, the one thing that I can say that's, that's pretty accurate, if you can play one in the SEC, consistently play one and do well, I think you have a shot at playing pro tennis. I think that for me, that's the one thing that I've, I've been in this league a long time. I've watched this league before I got involved in it from a, you know, just a fan perspective, you know, like you. You watch it from a fan perspective, and I'm sure sure you've seen trends that have happened. But that's probably the one thing that stood out. If you play one in this conference, you've got a shot at going on and, and at least giving your putting yourself in an okay position. I don't want to say good, but okay position to make it as a pro. And by make it, I mean you're making money, and that's what you call your primary craft. Yeah. No, without question. Um, I've only got one more question for you, and uh, it's pro-related, so I have to, because I have you here, in terms of your pro career, two wins I want to point to in specific. 96 French Open, 
five-set win over Andre Agassi. I also want to point to that 2000 uh, Australian Open where you made the quarterfinals. And by the way, that's freaking awesome. Congratulations to you. Uh, five sets over Tim Henman. Which do you look back on more fondly? Well, I, you know, I, I think if I'm if I'm honest, I, not to not to talk about my career or anything, but the Davis Cup winning the fifth rubber was pretty special. Um, that was that was that was something that I probably remember more than beating Andre, and I remember more making it, you know, to the quarterfinals. So I guess I guess that was that was something that I I really remember. And then the thing that I, I like to also remind myself of is that I was a pretty good player and I beat seven world number ones. Not a lot of people can say that. You know, you beat you beat all, seven world number ones. Uh, I'm pretty proud of that. But the Davis Cup, since I had gone to college, I loved it. You know, just like John Isner, you hear him talk about, you know, how much. And, and you watch, you've actually watched John well, so I can talk about him. You actually have heard John talk about how much he loves Davis Cup and how much he loves the team environment. And that was kind of the way I was. I was fortunate enough to play on two Davis Cup teams, one that won, one that didn't. But like you said, I also remember playing Andre. He was a, you know, a legend of the game and, and, you know, one of the few that I believe intended our sport, right? Ed Borg and Connors and McEnroe. And then you had Andre, unbelievable, and a great person as well. Uh, just to play on court, Suzanne Lang Lang in, the, in a Grand Slam uh, event was something, you know, something really special as well. You're telling me, let's say, and I'm just going to use his name arbitrarily, but like Adam Walton's mouthing off to you, and you're not like Adam. Adam, I beat Andre. Like, just relax, Adam. <laughs> no, but I'll put the foot down and I'll say something like, Adam, stop doing that. I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so, you know, I'm kind of, you know, it's kind of like at, at arm's length. You know, don't, don't, don't mess with me here on this one. I know what I'm. You got a problem? Shut up. Oh, you know, I don't say shut up to my players, but they'll they'll, they'll be they'll be first to tell you that I can be I can be pretty tough on them. I'm I'm I expect a lot. Now, don't get me wrong. No, justifiably so, Coach. And again, uh, we are so. Yeah, we are so grateful uh, for the opportunity to have the chance to chat with you. And, you know, we wish you luck. We hope you and your players stay safe. And, you know, thank you. You know, the seat is always open should you want to come back on this podcast. You know, I, I got to say that you guys do a great job. I, I listen to your I listen to your cast, you know, sometimes, like I said earlier. But uh, it's really it's really admirable. And it's you guys are great innovators and you show such passion and and, you know, just college tennis and and it's really do really great what you do so both you two keep doing what you're doing and like you said if you ever want me back or i can help out you know i'll be glad to do it in any way i possibly can really appreciate you saying that it's because there's another chris on the pod right you chris's stick together (laughs) yeah we we definitely appreciate it coach and that's what you know alex and i privately We'll talk. We love we love to hear that, right? We love what we're doing, but it's also great that you guys love just what we're doing and the coverage that we're bringing. So a- anytime we hear that, it just it just keeps us going. It it, it makes sure we stay doing it. So so thank hey, you. You keep it. doing what you're doing, and I'll get a go balls in there. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. From now on, I, I'll keep that in mind that you might be listening. No more trash talk. But Coach Woodruff, thank you so much, and again, stay safe, and hopefully, we'll get to see some more college tennis soon. Yeah, you got it, guys. Keep it up.
Yeah, great to take be with you. Great to, great to talk to you, Coach. Take care. Hope you enjoyed our conversation with Tennessee men's tennis head coach Chris Woodruff. And again, a huge shout out to him for taking the time to chat with us. We hope he, his players, his program, all everyone around, I mean, of course, the Tennessee program stays safe and healthy throughout these trying times. And can't thank him enough for taking the time to talk about some of the implications uh, of the coronavirus on his college tennis program, because I know that's something college tennis fans across the globe continue to think about. Uh, it's not just these interviews, though. We have keep, kept things rocking and rolling here at Cracked Rackets, trying to keep as much content heading your way as possible if we can provide you even a momentary distraction from the stresses all of us are feeling right now in our day-to-day lives, then we will continue to be doing our job. And look, if you need distractions, here's the piece of content I want you guys to go check out right now. Go to YouTube.com. Type in Cracked Rackets in the search bar and watch our second episode of Overserved. We are really happy with the way that our new video series that pokes fun at all of the unintentional comedy from the tennis world on a day-by-day, week-by-week basis has turned out. Super producer Daniel Westoff continues to kill it. Uh, I mean, he's made me look funny, and you all know how hard that is. You hear a lot of my bad jokes throughout the podcast. He's cut out all the bad jokes, and we are really happy with the way that turned out. Skits, and you know, we talk about Christiane's TikToks, what she's been doing, and we try our own version of that. We uh, do, there's dancing, there's rapping, ugh, which just makes me cringe even if I say it, but I promise it is pretty funny. Max Rothman makes a return to drop a little bit of beatboxing. We poke light at, you know, Roland Garros making their move and kind of upending the 2020 schedule, but uh, it, it's a really fun series, so be sure to go check that out, and since you're there, you might as well subscribe, right? It's two extra clicks. Come on. As soon as we get to 1,000 subscribers, Subscribers, I will stop asking you to do this, but I know there's a thousand of you out there who certainly will enjoy this content, so be sure to go check that out. It would mean the world to super producer Daniel Westoff. Of course, we've also got all things firing on our mini break podcast as well. We never want to leave you guys without some sort of content on a day-by-day basis. This week, we've talked Technique Tuesday. Uh, Jamie and I did a little bit of ranking. We also talked Elena Rybakena uh, on today's mini break podcast, as well as a book, a match, and a piece of content for you from Wednesday just to continue to give you guys options to turn to in case you're like me and you just need some sort of fix of tennis in your life. We've also got a lot of really fun projects underway here at Cracked Rack. It's a series we're calling CR Classics. Should be heading your way in the next few days. Not going to give away what it is, but I know it's something you all will enjoy. I can promise you that. We've also got some other really fun stuff under works that I'm not going to quite give away, but if you've listened to our other podcasts, you know, uh, well, you may have an idea of what it's about. I'll say this. It's in the college tennis realm, so I am still getting my college tennis fix regardless of the fact that there is no no season moving forward in 2020. Uh, that being said, before we wrap up, have to give a shout-out, as always, to the super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westhoff, for the f- of an editing job they do day in, day out. It doesn't happen without their incredible work behind the scenes, so shout-out to those guys, but... For our wonderful guest today, Menace, uh, Menace, Tennessee men's hat, hat. Let's try that again. For our wonderful... Wes, give me a rewind sound effect, please. 
for our wonderful guest, Tennessee men's tennis head coach, Chris Woodruff, for my wonderful co-host, College Tennis Ranks, Chris Hallioris, and from all for our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westhoff, and from all of us here at Cracked Rackets, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. That's today's Cracked Interviews podcast, folks, and we will see you next time. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>